Noble Experiment by Robert P. Fitton. Episode 13, a Mergendorf battle in space. Sleep came easy for Brady after Antovian left his cabin. Tired from the enormous burden upon him, he lay in a deep sleep for over six hours. But sleep did not last, and he was awoken by the light of a bright explosion near the hull of the Mergendorf vessel. He leaped from the little bed as the light was beginning to fade like spent fireworks. In the distance, he saw what must have been several Renegan Express flyers, violently spewing off white energy toward the Mergendorf ship. The pattern would remain constant as the energy traveled quickly toward the ship and hit the dense fields within the hull, exploding wildly in an attempt to punch a hole in the defenses. Most of the explosions had been out of his window's range. The next hurdle of energy, however, was shot across space and directly at him. He fell to the floor as it slammed against the outside surface of the ship, rocking it severely. Then another jolt hit just overhead. The lights grew dim and the force field hummed in a subdued lavender light. Lifting himself upward, he peered over the observation windowsill. The Mergendorf ship had responded with the same red light, kicking one of the elliptical flyers out of formation and forcing the others to retreat. Brady's first instinct was escape. He ran over to the diluted force field, sticking his hand forward and prepared to be knocked to the floor. He retracted his hand at once, feeling only a small but respectable voltage. A voltage that might be worth a few seconds of pain. Hurrying, as he did not want to miss the opportunity, he went back to the window. He looked at the field momentarily, realizing the power would probably come on any second. But also, he was cognizant of the fact that he had to return to Earth. With a mighty thrust, he rocketed across the room like a broad jumper toward the pit. He hit the field and was slowly, by his momentum, lifted through it. The electricity soared through his body as he fell into the corridor and across the floor. Stunned and on the verge of losing consciousness, he staggered to his feet, shaking his head back to reality. His efforts had been none too soon as the field, in dim light, quickly crackled to full capacity. He looked both ways in the corridor and decided to go to the right. All the corridors were deserted. The dwarfs apparently had hurried to their stations during the Renegan attack. Soon he heard footsteps, possibly a party of dwarfs coming down to check his status in the cabin. He did not have the luxury of time to contemplate his next move, and he slipped into a smaller hallway and waited. The clumping steps grew louder, and the two dwarfs with flutons passed directly by the lurking Brady. Like a bobcat, ready for the kill, he sprang from his hiding place and grabbed for the fluton. He had surprised them as he firmly clutched the weapon and pulled it away. Before the second dwarf could draw his fluton, Brady had them both covered. He smiled with the cockiness of a frontier bandit as he moved toward them. Drop it, he ordered. The other dwarf complied and Brady picked up the weapon. Okay, over to the chute, both of you. Your actions will have little merit said the dwarf who had dropped his fluton. Shut up, he said, much to their surprise. What I do is none of your business, now move it. They walked briskly ahead of him as he kept the spider-like weapons pointed directly at them. Upon approaching the chute, he spotted another prize. Paris had just entered the corridor. Brady! Paris, drop your weapon or you're dead. What are you attempting to do? asked the second in command as his round black eyes filled with fear. 
He dropped the weapon and Brady picked it up, adding to his arsenal. Just get in the chute, ordered Brady with the weapon still drawn. If you are attempting to take over this vessel, began Paris. Brady did not respond verbally at first, but rather he put both flutons on their maximum settings, which was a wide vaporization. Well, Paris, perhaps I have been a little bit too hasty in my assessment, said Paris. He looked at the others and motioned them into the chute. I want to be brought to Grok. The commander is in the Nexus. Brady ordered them to the Nexus. As the chute rose within the vessel, he could feel the tenseness in his hands. After all, he was the last hope of the final destruction of Earth, and if he were killed, so was Earth. His human heart thumped against his Dorfian chest as they moved upward in the blue light, rising to the bottom of the Nexus. Brady looked around the room. Directly in front of the Nexus was a semi-circular viewing window comprising the entire wall. Above him was a luminous aqua ceiling and a light-colored carpet below. He pushed his prisoners to the edge of the viewing window as Grok stood some 25 feet away on an elevated triangular platform at the end of the room. I have your second in command, Grok, yelled Brady as he put one of the flutons to Paris's head. Please feel free to comply, Commander, said Paris. The weapon is set to vaporize. Brady pointed the other weapon outward as he studied the room. From the edges of the semicircular window were elevated alcoves on each side, each with a mass of instrumentation below a smaller viewer. Armed dwarfs, undoubtedly controlling parts of the vessel, were stationed at each alcove. The alcoves ran along the walls to Grok's elevated platform and then converged to a point behind it. Everyone that has a weapon, drop it, said Brady loudly as he caught sight of Antovian's brutal stare. No one in the room, however, moved to his command. Brady then chose to scream in a manner they were unaccustomed to hearing. You don't think I'll use this? I will kill you all before I'm through, one by one. Throw your weapons forward, said Grok. Brady moved toward him, dragging Paris as he picked up the weapons. Grok leaned on the forward console above Brady. Just what do you think you're going to accomplish, Brady? asked Grok. I'm going to accomplish a future for my planet, Grok. Turn this thing around, bring it back to Earth so I can warn my people. I cannot do that. The law, I've had it with your laws. If you value your own life and the lives of your crew, you will do as I say. It's not the Valranian law I speak of, Brady. There are Renegan vessels in this area. To move backward through an area we have just come through would risk another encounter with those vessels. I'm not gonna fall for your tricks, Grok. I cannot do it, Brady. I have the flutons, Commander. You will do it or I'll kill everyone aboard this ship. Grok raised his hand to his mouth, rubbing both thumbs along the teeth plate as he thought. As he slowly blinked his eyes, he pleaded with Brady one more time. I will have to ask you to reconsider, Brady, please. You're only hurting yourself if this vessel is destroyed. You have ten seconds, said Brady as he kept the fluton aimed at Paris's head. Then I will kill him. Grok didn't seem to doubt Brady's threats. He could not allow his friend and most probably the entire Nexus to be killed. Risking a return into space seemed now less of a threat. Very well, he said. Dorf, Antobian, set a course for the vessel back to Earth. Yes. Yes, Commander, said the telepath as he went inside his alcove, began programming the change. 
He turned to Grok. Course is set in, Commander. The stars in front of the viewer and the tiny alcove viewers began to swing by the turning vessel. Brady, quite familiar with the stars by now, gazed ahead until he spotted the sun. He quickly spun around and saw the frightened looks upon their faces. They knew he was an alien within one of their own bodies, a creature not of their world, with strange ways and radical thoughts. They felt as a human would feel if his ship had been seized by an alien entity. Brady sensed this and took full advantage of the situation. Everyone up by the viewer and sit down, he outed, pushing Paris forward and then moving off to the side. They scampered up from their respective positions and moved up front, sitting under the window as he had instructed them. Grok, not surprisingly, remained on his platform, leaning forward against the instrument panel. You too, Commander. How long do you think you're going to hold this vessel, Brady? Five, ten, twenty-four of your hours? As long as I have to, said Brady as he moved toward them with both flutons drawn. The Mergendorf day is thirty-nine hours long. You will tire before we do, said Grok as he slowly walked along the console and down the stairs. I can wait, replied Brady boldly as Grok walked by him. He climbed the stairs to the platform and looked down on the Nexus personnel. There was a chair on movable tracks in front of thousands of instruments on Grack's panel. With the dwarfs below, watching Brady's every move, he sat in the chair, pointing his weapons forward like artillery onto a distant hill. He was, without much forethought, prepared to wait. But the hours took their toll on Brady and both flutons grew heavy. His eyes were sore and his muscles ached. Most of the dwarfs were sleeping under the viewing window as the Mergendorf vessel moved farther away from its perimeter. Those dwarfs who were awake were rather lethargic with the exception of Grok and Paris. Grok's eyes continuously trained on Brady. He must have known it was only a matter of time before Brady could not be able to handle the fatigue. They all seemed to remain patient, amazed that Brady had gone as far as he had. The unusual pace was broken by several popping sounds from the communications alcove. Brady perked up as Grok moved forward. Those processors are signaling an advisory, stated the commander as he climbed the stairs to the alcove. What advisory? asked Brady, bouncing up from the chair and trotting down the steps. Grack's lips were vibrating in an atypical manner. Brady could readily discern that gesture was the one the Mergendorf employed to express their displeasure. I won't tolerate any tricks, Grock, taunted Brady as he pointed the flutons toward the alcove. Grack was unimpressed at this point. We must take evasive action, he said from the communications alcove. We'll just increase speed, Grock, butted Brady. It will be that much sooner we get back to Earth. Grok's lips were no longer buzzing, but he did raise his voice for the first time. Don't be a fool! In another few minutes we'll all be dead, he said, waiting for a response. But Brady was in a paradoxical situation. Grok rose from the chair and walked down the stairs of the alcove. Brady, we must reverse course and head back to the perimeter while there's still time. They have backups, and there's no doubt we'll be destroyed. No, I won't go back up there, said Brady unequivocally. Then you tell me, said Grok as he walked down the stairs and up to Brady. What do we do? Let ourselves be attacked? Distance, 
said Paris from the alcove above. 100,000 miles. Brady, no, said Brady, raising his weapons at Grok. They will attack us in less than 30 seconds. Release this vessel, said Grok as his lips began to buzz again. No. Then you'll have to kill us all, cried Grok as he walked by the pointed flutons and up to his platform. His crew came down timidly and returned to their original stations. Director, Grok ordered Antovian, bring us around, push her, maximum power. Maximum power when course is implemented. Any signals from the enemy craft? Negative, Commander, said the dwarf from the front alcove. Paris, it's time to attack. Eight seconds, Commander, answered Paris. Paris, fire every fluton battery. Commander, that will diminish our speed to... I said fire, shouted Grack as he stood. Paris turned quickly and released all of the vessel's energy to the incoming Renegan Express flyers. The Mergendorf vessel lurched in space, the light of the Nexus dimming as the massive concentration of red energy twisted into space like a tidal wave. The speed of the ship slowed dramatically, drifting thousands of miles beyond the energy. Level 3, instructed Grok as Paris increased the magnification of the window. The energy rolled forward in a wide but deadly dispersion. The wily Renegan ships attempted to change their course, but the energy was on them too quickly, sizzling the darting vessels into ash. Searcher, scan space. Any sign of hostile vessels? asked Grok. Space is clear, Commander. We are at one-half normal velocity, Commander. Thank you, said Grok as he turned to his second-in-command. Paris, how long will the energy field remain destructive? For another, Paris said as he looked at his monitors. Six and a half hours. Searcher, send out a warning to any of our vessels in the area, said Grok confidently as the situation was now under control. He looked down at Brady, who had been easily disabled by the guards in the crisis. Grok, I, you! You brought us within seconds of death because of your excessive Earth-like actions. You, my friend, will learn the law. As back in the alcove, Antovian bowed his head. The perimeter is less than five days away at this speed. You will make good use of that time in the Valranian instruction. I had to try, said Brady, twitching in his dwarfing nose as the guards held him, and I will try again. You know little of the truth of the universe. Your opinions are distorted by a gluttony of spirit. Bring him back to his room. I want a constant check on that energy restraint in the doorway and three guards outside the door. The guards brought the subdued Brady to the chute in the forward part of the room, and they quickly descended from view. Paris walked over to Grok's platform and looked into his commander's eyes. Commander, why do you insist on allowing that human to cause such difficulties? Is taking them to the elders that important? Yes, it is that important. He will not give us any more difficulty, Paris. He will learn our ways and know the law of Valrain. Commander, I think you should kill him now. And Paris, I am in command of this vessel. Join us next week as a noble experiment by Robert P. Fitton continues. This has been a production of Fitton Theater of the Words.